Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. College football is back. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty fun to be able to watch some of the games in the in the clubhouse, you know, right before we're getting ready to head out for BP and, you know, all the players are, are into it too. So it's it, that, that part's fun, this part of the season. You know, a few weeks left of, of our season, which is crazy. Time has flown by so much. Um, we're back, back home in, in Salisbury for the week and, um, fin- you know, finish up the regular season next week away. So it's been a great year, been a lot of fun, and um, it's it's nice to, to have some something else to do and watch a little bit of football is, is fun. And I, I, I lead with that because today we have uh, Sean Kenny as our guest, who is a pitching coach at the University of Georgia, which is a great football program. We were watching them the other day. And, you know, Sean has, has been doing this for 26 years, been coaching college baseball for 26 years. He's been at Pepperdine. He's been at University of Michigan, Maryland. Now he's at the University of Georgia, um, San Diego, too. So he's been doing this a very long time. And I, I, I enjoyed our conversation for a multitude of reasons. One being, you know, he has a lot of experience doing this and developing high-level pitchers. Uh, two, he, he, you can tell by the what he says, you know, he's continued to adapt over time. He's continued to to grow with the new pieces of technology and data and information that is out there. And he shares some some stories in this episode of of how he's utilized the the data to help players get better, um, which I, is is so cool. And, and that's that's what the data is there for. To, uh, if you're able, if you know how to use it to be able to help players. So um, appreciate Sean coming on the the show and and um, and sharing everything he's learned and, and is continuing to learn. Um, if you haven't, please make sure to, to head on over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, leave a review. Um, you know, as always, all these episodes will be on my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com. And, and if you do go go to the website and check check out some of the stuff we have over there, you know, make sure to, to sign up for our email list too. You know, I don't send out tons of emails, but when, when I do, I, I really make sure that um, there's there's value in inside of the email. So. Um, hope you enjoy this one with uh, the pitching coach at the University of Georgia, Sean Kenny. All right, we now welcome on Sean Kenny from the University of Georgia. Sean, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've been at at multiple places, multiple schools all over the country: California, Michigan, Maryland. Now you're at University of Georgia. Yeah. What what's your favorite thing about the University of Georgia? Uh, the weather, um, that's for, that's for sure. Um, you know, I grew up. I was born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, so you know, grew up in the cold, and, and and was really lucky to be able to kind of coach in my hometown uh, for the University of Michigan. But uh, you know, I had moved away for so long, I forgot how cold it was. And and uh, man, I love to. To, to be able to wear short sleeves for most of the year down here. So um, my wife and I appreciate the. Well, you'll never hear us complain about how hot it is. I'll, I promise you that. What What is the weather like? Um, I mean, do you guys do fall ball later because of the weather being nicer? We, we can, we typically, you know, we usually start, we, we start a little bit earlier. Um, we start middle of, of September, but quite honestly, we could start whenever we want. Um, that's the best thing about Athens is, you do get the seasons. Um, it, it cools off, but it's never cold. Uh, we, we don't go indoors unless it's raining ever uh, year round. So, um, 
it, it, we're, we're really fortunate. We, we, we can, we're, we're a year round outside baseball program. How do you uh, structure like the pitchers throwing program being that it is, you can throw pretty much outside all year round. I mean, is there certain times of the year where you want those guys shut down just because I hear, and I'm not, you know, I know I'm not a pitching guy, but I do fall. I try to fall as much as possible. And you hear some people say, you know, never, you should never shut down at all. That's going to increase injuries. If you do shut down and ramp up, like what's your take on all that? Yeah, I, I, that's a really good question and a relevant one for this time. And, um, I, I know enough to know that I don't have all the answers on that. Um, I, I kind of defer to, to the people who are studying it full time. And, and I, I just try to make sure I'm listening um, to them. And, and I used to be, and I say used to, cause it's not too long ago where I tried to build in six to eight weeks of, of no throwing in a calendar year. And I've changed, um, you know, up until, this last year. And, uh, for two reasons, for one, our, our guys just don't want to stop throwing anymore. They, they want to throw. And, and I, I've just tried to stop getting in their way. And the other thing is, I think people exactly what you just said are, are of the opinion now where starts and stops, um, are really where they, they feel like a lot of the injuries are coming from. Um, and, and I think it starts and stops from warming up into a game, um, our guys don't throw before the game at all. Um, they throw during the game, even the non guys, the, the guys that may not pitch. And, and so we're trying to eliminate starts and stops wherever we can. So, um, we still shut down. We, we try to get them anywhere from two to three weeks of no throwing, but it's spaced out. I, I would say to answer your question directly, we do have a longer shutdown period, probably post fall ball that November month, but it's never more than two weeks at a time. And, and, and even that second week, there'll be activity. There'll be bands, there'll be weighted balls, there'll be, you know, arm care stuff, whatever you are doing and everybody is doing. But that part has certainly changed uh, for me personally. Um, like I said, some of it's because the guys don't want to stop. And some of it is because the smarter people than me think that that's what you should do. So that's what we're doing. Just to clarify, you said you don't have them throwing before games, but only during the game. How does that? Yeah, so you you see a lot of uh, we see most people um, their relievers uh, out throwing before the game just to get their throwing in. I just we we've been doing this for a while now, but um, I, I just have never figured out. I try to take the common sense route where if you've got a seven p.m. game and you're a reliever and you're not going to throw till eight thirty or nine. You know, why are you throwing at five? Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never really quite understood that. I, I, I struggle with how to avoid it. The guys who aren't going to throw in the game, your, your starters or, or your relievers who threw heavy the night before, they'll throw before because they're down. But our guys that are up, they don't do anything with their arms um, until it gets closer to when they could potentially um, go in the game. So if you watch us on TV and you see our bullpen, we got guys throwing it in the fifth inning. Um, and that doesn't mean we're taking our starter out. It just means they're getting their work in because um, they know that they may have missed their window of what their role would be. Um, so you got your long guys throwing maybe in the fourth or fifth. You've got your setup guys maybe throwing in the sixth or seventh. And then if we're up big, then your closers are probably just playing catch in the eighth or ninth. 
and then your long guys roll in. But at least you don't have them throwing four hours before they may throw. So that th- now you've eliminated a start and a stop. Yeah, and it makes sense from just a, a a volume control standpoint where you're you're not having them do things just for the sake of doing them, which is feels like that's what's happened a lot in baseball over the years where um you know we're just kind of killing grass standing around not doing anything. Do yeah. you do you have them? Uh, this is an interesting question because it's I, you know I've never coached college in college, but played college. Is it is this a crazy idea to like not have them out just shagging fly balls in the outfield and batting practice just because they're just they're just standing around like wear and tear on their body? Yeah, I, I hate when they shag. It drives me crazy. Yeah, um, it, it's a necessary evil. We talk about that all the time. Is you know. I, our job as pitching coaches is to try to eliminate the standing around as much as possible. And, and it's, it's not foolproof by any means um, because your position coaches don't want your outfielders running around where they can be taking live reads. So that part is tricky because uh, batting practice is for, as we all know, for our position players to get better uh, if you're doing it right. So we do have them shag. I try and practice to at least cut it in half. If you're talking about a 50-minute batting practice, which is probably average for us or for everybody, um, maybe they're shagging for 25 minutes and then 25 minutes they're working with us in the bullpen um, or maybe 30-20. But uh, game day, um, you know, it, they're, they're going to be out there. Not everybody, um, not all the time. But, yeah, I think that's the challenge is how do we make batting practice? Because if you think about it, if you don't do anything as a pitcher during practice, you're just wasting an hour of practice. You're literally not getting better. Right. You might honestly be getting worse. So It's hard as a pitcher because, like you said, you can you can only throw so much. I mean, that's the difference yeah. between hitting and pitching. Hitting, you can do – there's so many things you can do for hitting-wise. Pitching, yeah. you are limited. I mean, you really got to get creative and, and and be focused when you are there. Yep. Well, and that's when we spend the most most of our time working on picks and PFPs. It, it, it's funny how the the whole cycle in pitching has changed. Is you know back in the day we didn't even have bands when I started. You, didn't, <laughs> you just didn't you just didn't you did kind of the sand the tennis ball cans filled with sand. That's that's literally all we did. And, and, and so we spent a lot of our time teaching picks and PFPs because we didn't know what else to do. We, we had some mechanic stuff, but we certainly didn't have drive line, and we didn't have all these mechanical cues that we do now. Um, and, and it's funny how things circle, but, but I hate working on picks and PFPs now. I hate it. And the players hate it too, but our head coach doesn't hate it because he <laughs> wants us to be good at it. So, which I think is a legitimate request. Um, so that's where we spend a lot of our time and we do a lot of no, no throw stuff during BP, um, pick, pick footwork and understanding the timing and, and fielding bunts and things like that. Um, so that's how you kind of get around, um, you know, making sure you, you you focus on the things that you need to there, but you don't throw. On the other side of doing uh, picks and PFPs, uh, maybe some people would say, does it really help or does it just, I mean, make guys overthink when they actually do it in the game? Oh, I, I think so. Yeah, I think it does. And, and and if you think about all the times, we talk about this as a staff all the time is how much time do we spend on bunts and, and first and thirds that, that never happen. And, and really it's just about as a pitcher, just be athletic, pick it up and throw it to first, you know, 90% of the time. So, you know, 
we spend more time on flexibility and, and footwork and things like that. And that may actually make you a better, um, a better player than, than fielding a million bunts. But uh, again, baseball's tough because all right, what as a pitcher, what are we going to practice? If, you know, we've already spent an hour on throwing and arm care and, and, and mechanics, what else is there? You know, um, that's why head coaches always make fun of us and call us kickers. Cause, cause once we're done kicking, you know, we're pretty much done. Well, okay. This is, this is perfect. You're lining me up perfect because my next thing that I wanted to, to ask you about was I know you played, um, played in college, played professionally in the Mets organization is, is do you teach these pitchers and coach them up on how to read hitters when it comes to how they take a pitch, like how they foul and balls off certain areas, things like that. Because I think that's an, an area where I don't know. I, I just, I, I, when I look, watch different pitchers, even here in the minor leagues, um, I often question like, why are they throwing that pitch after he just took that, uh, took a pitch, you know, a certain way yeah. they come back and, and throw now throw a breaking ball. And now he, he's on time and is able to, to crush it. So uh, I guess long-winded question, but I, I, do you do you spend any time at all on on educating them on on what to look for when they're on the mound facing a hitter? Yeah, that's a really good question, and, and and the answer is yes, but then the other part of it, truthfully, probably not enough. And I think so. It, that one I wrestle with because that's what that's probably the difference, the biggest difference between professional baseball and college baseball is I, I do most of that work. And I think you can argue a lot of different ways on whether that's good or bad. And, and I know that, by the way, I, I understand that that potentially stunts their growth. I do. Um, so, so what we try to do, the happy medium is they, they have the, they have the freedom to change what, what we call and I've gotten better at that. I used to take it personally and get mad and be chippy. So then I freeze them into throw, making, I'm bullying them into throwing whatever I want, which I don't want that. And, and so, but now if you do have the freedom and I want you to have that freedom, you better understand why. So we do talk about read the swing because it should be pretty obvious. Um, if a certain hitter reacts certain ways, it should tell you what to throw or what not to throw. It, it really isn't that hard. I don't think, um, especially with the analytics now, a lot of it comes back to, and this is maybe the other part of the question or the answer is, it, if you have certain analytics, it doesn't matter what the hitter does or doesn't do. Mm -hmm. You stick with it. If you've got, you know, north of 20 inches of vertical break, I don't care if he swings at that fastball or not. You're throwing that thing chest high right down the middle as hard as you can. He's not going to hit the next one. Um, you know, if you've got 18 inches of, of horizontal break, doesn't matter if he's right-handed or left-handed. So I, I do think that has changed a little bit. Um, but you know, the college game is good and bad from the standpoint of, I, I do actually think maybe one of the best things that I do personally is, is call a game and put them in the right spot, but it doesn't mean I'm always right. Yeah. And so they have to have the freedom to correct my mistake. Uh, but that's where I, I, I've really fallen in love with the numbers from a teaching standpoint is I think it actually has simplified what they do. Uh, people freak out about numbers, right? And say, well, it makes it more confusing. 
I disagree. I actually think it's make it easier. If I know I throw 92 miles an hour, but it plays up to 96 and I can just throw it as hard as I can, chest high, right down the middle, that's pretty easy. So we do talk more about reading the hitter from the standpoint of what we do, maybe more so than what they do. You you mentioned 18 inches of horizontal break there. And it, uh, my first thought is, uh, you know, sinker ballers have essentially gone away, um, yeah. at least in professional baseball. Yeah. Um, are, are you would you recruit sinker ballers or would you try to develop a, a sinker baller in college knowing that, you know, it seems I am, you know, the vertical break is really where everyone's at right now. Yeah, I, I certainly would. Cause I, I think it's just like everything else we do in life. It's going to cycle back around um, because I think the hitters will get better at taking that fastball up. And now what do you do? So now I don't know that to be fact. That's just an opinion, but um, swing and miss clearly is we just talked about this the other day. It's hard to have a sinker baller regardless of level as your closer, because now you got swing and bunts. Now you got choppers through the six hole. Um, and with, with turf, um, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of those ground balls are going to be hits. Um, so I, I still think the swing and miss vertical break guy is a premium, but I think there's certainly a role for them. Uh, our, our Friday starter um, who was draft eligible and had a chance to sign for, for a good chunk of money is coming back. And it's, it's 93 to 96 with a bunch of sink and a really good slider. And I personally still think there's a role for that because the guy doesn't throw balls. And if you've got a guy who gets people out and throws it over the plate, that's a hard sell to me uh, on why he would have less value. So um, I think it's about knowing who you are and, and, and knowing what you have to do in order to create swing and miss. Cause if he's creating swing and miss with slider and change up, who cares if he's, got a low whiff rate on his fastball in my opinion yeah and i mean truthfully you're throwing i don't i know that you know velocity is the whole thing if you don't throw 95 you know you don't have a you don't throw hard anymore but i don't care what anyone says you throw 95 and that ball's running in on a righty like that's not easy to hit no i mean i don't don't care what anyone says but yeah when when it comes to, to sinker ballers and 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 guys who you know you said mentioned your friday guy throwing you know having a good slider too what what my what my next question is, you know, do you um, do you kind of want them to throw more off speed now than you did maybe five years to seven years ago? Me personally, probably not. No, uh, yeah. I, you know, but um, I think I'm the other way now. Is is having them throw more fastballs um, based on just because I feel comfortable with what their fastball. I, I think it's a couple things. I just, I, I just think that the, you know, if we're on the pitching side in college, if if we know who we are, um, and we know how to use our stuff, I, I still think maybe we're gonna be ahead of the majority of the hitters um, because of the ninety-two to ninety-five mile fastballs and, and being able to command them up in the zone. But I do tell our guys. You know, and I do this as well as if you turn on the TV in September and October in the big leagues from the 17th inning on, those dudes are throwing 100 are throwing a bunch of sliders, you know, and and because, well, first of all, they're really good sliders. And second of all, guys can hit fastballs and guys in our league can hit them, too, now. So it isn't that they can't hit them because they can, but you need to know how to use the fastball. And in my opinion, if you do 
and you're a vertical break guy like you talked about, I, I think we're still ahead of the majority of the hitters if we know where to command it um, or how to command it. So, but I think if you asked every pitching coach in the country, including myself, it, you know, it comes down to it. You got to call a fastball or a slider. We're all calling sliders. You mentioned how to command it. How, how do you want your guys to be able to command the fastball? Well, if you're a vertical break guy, we, we simplify it. it. We're not, we're not spending our time, you know, left, right. We're, we're talking about up, down um and, and more up as you know but uh that's the thing and, and with our horizontal guys we, we try to simplify it as well it is we're going to try to start that thing middle and we talk to them about just commanding the width of the plate if you've got eight you know north of 18 inches uh, of horizontal break we, we want it to finish over the plate we just want it to finish down so you know if they're going to command their glove side they're probably commanding it with the breaking ball quite honestly. Um, so that's where it's changed for me is understanding what they do well and, and, and allowing them to do that rather than getting in their way. Cause I, I think knowing what I know now, I was probably getting in their way where I'm asking them to command glove side and arm side with the sinker and commanding up and down um, with the vertical break rather than just up. So I think you just try to make it easier for them it's hard enough pitching in front of eight to 10,000 people who are screaming at you. And I'm asking you to command both sides of the plate up, down and land a breaking ball and bury a breaking ball. You know, maybe just pick a couple and go from there. How do you go about trying or do you try to help guys who maybe don't have enough horizontal break on their slider and you, you know, they, you want a more sweepy slider, more East West. And they have, they have one that's a slider. That's, that's pretty sharp. There's, there's some good depth to it, yeah. but it's not very sweepy at all. You, is there anything you do or do you want guys to, to, to try to make changes and um, to that? So they, it is a little bit more sweepy. Yeah, I, I think, and that's a really good question. And I know that's kind of the trend right now, right? They, they, they want that thing to, to turn a little more, um, you know, with certain, I've spent a lot of time trying to match their breaking ball up with, their fastball, right? Like everybody does to create tunnel, but, or better tunnel. And, and I think at times at our level, you've got a few guys who you can do that where, where they're just so talented. You can say, Hey, let, let's try to get that thing to sweep a little more. And they can, it's just, they're just good. Yeah. Um, the majority of our guys, I think you have to pick how and what they shape it the best at, you know, yes, I want your, your, your sinker guy to have a slider and your, your vertical break guy to have curveball, but not all of our guys can do that. So I, I think to answer your question, I, I try to see what they do well, how they shape it and, and just try to have them perfect what they do best. Yeah. Um, more so than try to change it. So I guess um, that leads me, to think when you're recruiting players, I'm sure there's something that some specific um, things you're looking for when it comes to, you know, maybe their vertical, vertical break on their fastball miles per hour. Can they, can they locate two to three pitches? Um, is there certain things that, that you are looking for when it comes to, to potential recruits for to, to come pitch for you? Yeah, I, I think there are two main ones and, and everybody I think says it, but can, can they command the zone with the fastball? 
now we're looking deeper into it. Like you said earlier, I do think we would prefer a ride, a vertical break ride fastball, no doubt. Um, and, and for me, can they start the breaking ball? Can they shape the breaking ball? That That's really, yes, I'd love them to be able to land it and all that stuff, but we're recruiting them so young now. Um, we're talking about 14 and 15 year olds, which is a conversation for another time. I don't think anybody thinks that's a good thing, but it's the way we're doing it. So can, can they command the plate with the fastball? Can they start the breaking ball? Can they get that baby started? Can they get it spinning? And and that's really as far as it's going right now, when they get to us, we, we we determine what it's going to be. Is it going to slide or is it going to be a curveball? Um, but they have to be able to know how to shape it because quite honestly, we don't have the kind of time to overhaul them. We just don't, you know, we can't throw them into an instructional league game and say, Hey, you know, figure it out. You know, that we got wins and losses attached to it. And so they've got to be a little further along with what it's going to be um, when they get here. I noticed you didn't mention change up there at all. Um, is there is there a reason why? You just don't see very good changeups at the level that we're recruiting because they're really doing hitters a favor by throwing it. Um, you know, if you've got an eighty-six to ninety-mile-an-hour high school pitcher and he starts throwing a seventy-six to seventy-eight-mile-an-hour changeup, that's going to do three quarters of the hitters he's facing a favor. So they just don't throw it much. Um, I would love for him to have it. I, I think it's an absolute weapon and, and maybe what, what, you know, separates the, the good from the great is having a really good changeup. You just don't see very many of them uh, when we're out recruiting because for one, like I said, they're 15 um, and they just haven't had the, uh, you know, the opportunity to develop it. Um, I, I do think we spend most of our time in the fall working on that pitch for that very reason. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's a good point about, you know, how kids aren't throwing hard and the kids are facing aren't mature enough either. So it's not exactly the the best way. But one one of the things I was thinking about recently when it comes to release points and and how that affects the trajectory of the ball and how the ball moves. And this may seem crazy, but have you ever had a guy who was maybe at 90 to 92 and or it may be a tie eighties and you, you, you thought about maybe dropping him to sidearm or dropping his release point a little bit more to help him get some more movement on the ball or get some more guys out. Has that ever happened um, where you've recommended that, or maybe you had a player recommend that too, just changing his release point to make it a little bit harder. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially now with, with, with all the analytics, it's easier to do. Um, so we say this all the time. There's no more guessing. There's no more guessing in who you are, how to get you out, what pitches you should throw. There's no more guessing in, in um, how to take care of your arm. It doesn't mean it's foolproof, any of it, but we, we shouldn't have to go, hey, I think we should do this. Um, it, maybe you start it and then you go back in and you look at the numbers and you say, yeah, this is what we should do. 100, 100% we, we change arm angles Um the, the story I tell to everybody who will listen to me is two years ago, one of our main relievers was a slot changer. He, he'd throw it over the top and then he dropped down and it was cool, you know, and that's why we recruited him because he was a slot changer. Nobody has a slot changer. This is awesome. Well, he didn't get anybody out from either spot. And, and so he was five minutes away from being a side armor 
for the rest of his career. And I just happened to make a phone call to a friend of mine who's way smarter than me. I said, could you, do you mind looking at his numbers? And he scrolled across all his track man stuff, picked out a vertical approach angle. I said, you got something here. Don't turn him into a sidearm. Mm. Okay, cool. I don't know what that means, but I'll learn. And so we did. We learned, and, and now he's over the top, and he has elite vertical approach angle, which leads to elite vertical break, as you know. And he throws it as hard as he can at the chest and doesn't do anything else and, and gets people out and will ultimately probably be drafted. Could have been last year. So my point is that, yeah, we, we, we the numbers have allowed us to do exactly what you just said, which is sometimes they got to go down to create sink. Sometimes they got to go up to create ride. Um, and that's the fun of it. That that's, that's what I have now learned to enjoy the most is, is reading the numbers, trying to figure out how to apply them to our guys to give them the most confidence. That's I, I appreciate you sharing that story. That's incredible. That's a great way to uh, utilize the, the numbers and data to, you know, help a player pitcher out. I mean, that's really interesting stuff. Are, are all your pitchers pretty well versed, would you say? And in understanding, um, you know, vertical break, horizontal break, some of the numbers that they, they're looking for or trying to get? Well, not, not all when they get here. Um, right. And I think that that's the fun of it is, and I try to say this on the front end too, so I don't freak them out, is that, um, listen, I, I'm going to part of my job and our analytics team's job is to to show you which numbers to pay attention to. So that way you don't get overwhelmed because I did. Um, I I was scared to death. And, and, you know, this is year 26 for me. So it was all new to me, you know, long into when I started. So it's it it can be intimidating. And, And. so I think we've done a good job with our analytics group of, of showing them, hey, just focus on these two numbers. Because when we all started, it was all spin rate, right? And yeah. you either had a high spin rate or a low spin rate. Well, that that that's, yeah, that's big as we know. But there's a couple other numbers that they should pay attention to that shows them who they are. Um, so we spend a lot of the time in the fall talking to them individually about these two or three numbers or sometimes one number. Um, and that way they don't feel like they have to learn it all and, and freak them out and, and uh, scare them because they've all thrown off Rap Soto and Trackman, but it doesn't mean they all looked at their numbers or even cared what it was outside of velocity, which is what we all look at first. Um, so yeah, that that's that's the fun of it. That's what we'll do in the next couple months is teach them what to look for. You said you've been doing this for 26 years now. What what is something that you've been doing for 26 years that hasn't changed, even with all the new technology and data that's come out? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I think throwing, um, creating structure and throwing. Throwing has changed. When I first started, we weren't throwing past 120 feet. And I had to get talked into it strongly by Alan Jader, who I thought was nuts at the time. Um, why, why would we why would we throw the ball as far as we can? It's stupid. We don't, we don't do that on the mound. And, and, you know, if you know him, he's, he has such a good way about, um, about him that, that he never feels like you're an idiot, um, which I was, but anyway, you know, I think, I, I, I just think creating structure in your, in your throwing day. Um, some have to do it more, some have to do it less, but, 
you know, creating a way to play catch that, that benefits you um, and creating a way to simulate what you're going to do the most in your throwing. I, I think that, that, that never changes. Maybe how much you do and how you do it, I guess has changed, but the mindset of throwing is the most important part of your day that, that, that will never change as far as I'm concerned. Is there anything you would do um, different? If you could go back and talk to a young, a young Sean Kenny, was there anything you would tell him back then that, that he could use maybe, you know, early on in your, in your coaching career that, that you would do different and you think would have helped players back then? Yeah, I, I think that it, it, it's almost the same now because it's, it, I, I wish that I spent more time developing change-ups and, and, and coming up with a more sound way to, um, to teach those guys how important it is. <clears throat> and, and the strength and conditioning piece, knowing what we know now, our strength guy, in my opinion, is one of the best and, it makes my job easy because I don't have to worry about it um, ever. But I, I wish I spent more time researching that a long time ago, both both how to develop a change up, spend more time on it, and, and how I could have maybe sped up their development if I if I would have just gone all in on strength and conditioning. I wish I could press rewind on, on both of those, but um, I guess that's part of it. You know, is, yeah. is figuring out, and, and that's what's great about our sport, right? It, it, especially doing it, you know, for as long as as I have is is it's never it's never the same. You, you better keep at it, or you'll just get left behind. Yeah, you never graduate. There's no there's no graduation. No. There's no, no there's none of that for no. players. Yeah, players and coaches. Yeah, and and that's what's the scary part about it, and the awesome part about it. You know, it's like playing in the SEC. I tell people all the time. Is the SEC is the greatest thing in the world and the worst thing in the world, um, and baseball is very much the same. Do you, do you do? Are you able to go out and recruit too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That that that's that's what it's about half and half, man. It's it's this is the lifeblood, and you better like it at this level. Um, and I do. I've loved it. I I, I still love it. Um, and I've always said the day that I stop liking or loving recruiting I'll, I'll do something else <clears throat> really how many yep. games do you think you go watch a year uh you know i don't know i i, I think it, you know it's hard to say because they they when i first started there was no recruiting calendar we could recruit 12 months a year so i was watching thanksgiving games and, and, and holiday tournaments christmas tournaments i was i was at a game you know probably 11 months out of the year and they, they put the calendar on us now and we spend most of it in, in uh, June, July, and half of August, and then we'll we'll get back at it here, you know, half of September and, and three quarters of October, uh, and that's really it. But June, July, we're out, you know, or should be out almost every day, if not every day. Um, and uh, you know, maybe the first week in August, you're out every day, and then it calms down for a while, and then you're back at it. We're, we'll be in Florida two of the four weekends in October, but it's, you know, we can be the greatest coaches in the world, but if we don't do a good job on the recruiting side, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I, I, yes, definitely resonate with that. What, 
what uh when you're when you're out recruiting i mean there's so many kids out there how do you know who to go see i mean do you look at some of these rankings or do you just rely on people you've you've developed relationships with over the years who coach teams yeah it's become way more efficient now too when we first started there was no internet which dates me and makes me old man um no cell phones no email i remember the first day i got my email i thought it was the coolest thing ever And, and that was i was already two three years into it um so it used to just be cover tournaments and hope for the best, which was cool, but it wasn't very efficient. So yeah, rankings now, the, the, the publications out there are really good at their jobs, whether it be Prep Baseball Report or Baseball America or Perfect Game. They're just really good. And, um, and we rely heavily now on the travel coaches. They're, they're, 12 months out of the year, they, they know more people than no more players um, than we do. Professional scouts, obviously no more players than we do. So there's no more secrets anymore. It's just about, do you get to the kid early enough and, and do you, do you demonstrate why they should come to your school better than, than other teams? Um, not, not hard to find players anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Sean, I appreciate you you, you coming on today. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I, if I was a, a, a kid playing high school baseball right now, I, might, I would dream of going to play um, in, your, uh, in your field in the background right there at the University of Georgia. Yeah. So that's a beautiful yeah. campus. I was able to go a few years ago and just walk around there. It's, it's an incredible area. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine any kid not wanting to play play there and play for you. So I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it.